0: The Word of God is powerful. It's powerful to change our lives and our motives and our attitudes. Bless the Lord. I'm reading today from Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and your grandchildren may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your father's promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Father, we praise you and thank you for the power that's in your word. We praise you and thank you for the privilege of loving you and you loving us. We praise your name. Bless the Lord, O my soul.
1: Well, good morning. This morning, we're going to continue the sermon series we kicked off a couple weeks entitled 2020 Vision. Uh, And and the point of this series is we are asking a few fundamental questions. Um, What are the things that God wants us to focus on? Where do we need our our vision about how we view the world, ourselves, God, our priorities, so on and so forth? Where we need our vision corrected. Where are the, the blind spots? Um, What is it that God wants us to to see crystal clear? Well, this past week, we began by looking in the scriptures and what it says is our chief end, our main goal as human beings created in God's image. And and the main goal, the, the reason God created us is for relationship with him, of course, but it's to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. Apostle Paul puts it this way. Whatever we do in word or deed, how, whatever we eat or drink, whatever we do with our time, our resources, we are to do it all to the glory of God. And so today's message that follows up on it, builds on that idea. Um, how do we best bring glory to God? Practically speaking, when it's all boiled down in a nutshell, what does Jesus tell us to do and to focus on? Before we look into that, though, I want to offer a short prayer. Father, we're so grateful for this day, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be pleasing to you. That in all things, Jesus Christ would be lifted high and we, your people, would be challenged and and grown and transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know what a, a Eula is? Uh, EULA, it's not something from Star Wars. A EULA, it's an acronym, E-U-L-A. It stands for End User License Agreements. You know, when you, when you buy some new software, it pops up and there's page after page of fine print, right? And there's technical jargon and, and there's legalese. And, and, and to use the software, you have to put in, I agree, and sign off on it, right? And the worst thing is we don't really know what we're signing. I mean, who has the time or the knowledge to, to wade through all that stuff? And so for all we know, we're signing away our firstborn or half our state when we pass away or hundreds of dollars a month. But we need to use that software. So we we just take a leap of faith and we sign off on on on, on the EULA, which is kind of concerning because these these EULAs, they are they are legally enforceable. And I don't know if it ever happens, but they're legally enforceable. Uh, and there's things like this that are in their stated. Do not criticize this this product publicly. Using this product means that you will be monitored. Kind of big brother is is watching. By signing this contract, you also agree to every change in future versions of the contract, which are subject to change without notice. You're like what? And there's always some sort of statement like this: "We are not responsible if this product messes up your computer." Useless. We just take a. We just kind of trust that there's somebody sitting in. Uh, cubicle somewhere, working for some company, a faceless person who put this together, drafted this EULA, and that we can can trust what's going on and we sign off on it. But here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes maybe we might feel like we are signing a EULA with God. God expects certain things from us. Uh, We place a lot of expectations upon ourselves and sometimes we get confused over what it means to follow God. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We ask ourselves questions. Is it okay if I do this? Or should I do that? Or, or how much should I? Or, or when should I? What exactly does God want me to do? And it can be a little confusing and a little overwhelming. When we say that we want to follow Jesus, bottom line, what is in the contract? What are we agreeing to when we give our life to Christ? That's why one day a man posed a very serious question to Jesus. We're looking at two passages of Scripture today, the passage that Judas read out of Deuteronomy 6 and its companion passage where Jesus quotes part of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Matthew 22. And so let's pick this up. This man comes and poses Jesus a question about what's the bottom line about following God, obeying God. Let's pick it up in chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now, clarification, Sadducees, Pharisees, uh, they were part of the Jewish faith. Uh, they had kind of different schools of thought and they did theology a little bit differently, emphasized certain things, and they did not always get along. Kind of like sometimes different denominations will get along. That's kind of what was happening here, but it was probably amped up a little bit. But for whatever reason, they see Jesus as a common enemy, and so they band together. And it says one of them, a lawyer, or another version says an expert in the law, asked Jesus a question to test him. Father or teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? In the law, he's talking about the Old Testament, the Torah, the Psalms, the prophets, all of that stuff, the wisdom, literature. He says, which is the great commandment, the greatest commandment in, in the law? Now, a little bit of background here. Jesus is at a climactic point in his life. As we follow the Gospels... Um, we're getting close to the cross. OK. And Jesus knows this. He's and over the past three years or so. He's done miracles. He's an incredible teaching. He's gathered some disciples. He's seen people fall. Some fall away because of the, the hardness of what he teaches. But people are regardless. People are compelled. He's they're, they're attracted to Jesus. He's a very compelling figure. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are are concerned because this is causing unrest in in Israel. The Romans could notice that could cause problems for them. They want Jesus is kind of a competitor for for the people's allegiance. And so they decide to get together these two factions who don't like each other very much. And they want to try to trip Jesus up to, to discredit him publicly. And so this one man, he must have been a really sharp guy because they ask him to do it. He's our representative from the Pharisees and Sadducees. We want you to go ask Jesus a question that's going to put him in a tough spot publicly. And so the guy walks up to Jesus and says, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, we can gain quite a bit of understanding from this interaction. When it comes to following Jesus, there are two issues. There are always two issues, and really only two issues. There's the head issue, and there's the heart issue. There's the head issue, and there's the heart issue. And so this question this guy asks, it's really, it's really a good one. Now, a little bit about him. He's an expert in law, which means he knows the scripture, the Old Testament, frontwards, backwards. He knows all sorts of theories and ideas. He can talk theology till he's blue in the face. If somebody's confused about what the scripture has to say, they go to him. He's kind of the... The Torah Bible answer guy. Okay, and and this answer guy, he needs an answer and he's been wrestling with a question that seems to have been a a live one for a lot of his his colleagues. For example, there's a there's a a well-known story um, about a famous rabbi named Rabbi Hillel. And the story goes that uh, it was around Jesus' time that a, a man who's a Gentile converted to Judea, Judaism. And he wants to understand what's the bottom line. So he comes to this rabbi and he asks Rabbi Hillel to summarize the whole law while he stood on one leg. In other words, I don't have it all day here. So sum it up real quickly. What is the bottom line? Which is a hard thing to do. When you realize that rabbinic tradition counted and categorized the commands of the Old Testament into 613 separate commandments, 613, 248 of them were positive. In other words, you do this, you'll be blessed. Things will go well for you. And the rest, 365, were prohibitive. In other words, don't do this or this will not go well for you in your relationship with God, your relationship with others, your family or whatever, your health, whatever it might be. And these commandments were varied, okay, about what you're supposed to wear, about what you're supposed to eat, what you're not supposed to eat, about how you're supposed to take a bath, about how to treat your family, your neighbors, your enemies, foreigners in your midst, about how to handle your money and possessions, what to do with people who are sick or diseased, on and on and on. All sorts of situations, all sorts of things, these 613 commandments uh, are relevant for and so this guy asked this question, what is the essence of what it means to follow God? Another way to think of it would be, this is my Bible. About 750,000 words are in here. It would take me probably 70 hours. I'm a pretty fast reader. About 70 hours to read this. Stories, poems, wisdom, psalms, letters, gospels, all sorts of stuff in and I've got to be honest, there are certain things that I, I wrestle with. I'm not quite sure I've got to figure it figured out. I'm trying to understand it. What does this mean? And there are a lot of things in, in, in here that, that really, they contradict. They contradict what we think about in the world, the way we think in the world. For instance, count it joy when you suffer. Count it joy when you have tribulations. Things like. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Things like, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, the way to, to significance and meaning and purpose is, is to deny yourself. We, we don't think that way. Bless, more blessed to, to give than to receive. We don't think that way. So there's a lot of things that, that we have to wrestle with. And so this guy, his question on the surface, it's a good question. What is this all about? If you could summarize this, Jesus, in a few words, what is the message? That's the head issue, okay? But if we're honest, we're not just dealing with a head issue when it comes to the Bible. We always, always deal with a heart issue, too. Remember what this says? It says, one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question, why? To test him, to trap him. This is not a completely sincere, innocent question. He's trying to trip Jesus up. You know, it's important to, to, to take note of this. If we're dealing with head issues, we need more information, right? But when we're dealing with heart issues, we don't need more information. We need a change of heart, right? A change of allegiance. And so this, this guy's main problem with God wasn't that he didn't understand. He knows the scriptures really, really well. It's that he did not want to listen. He didn't want to have to change his lifestyle, his, his, his views. He didn't want to give up his life and follow Jesus. And if we're honest, we can be like this too. We can be experts at, at, dismissing, at dismissing what God says clearly when we've made up our minds about what we want to do with our life, Right? Our problems are not just with our head, but also with our heart. Often more with our heart than our head. And so back to this question, this guy. Jesus does this man and and us a great favor. He cuts right to the chase. In Matthew 22, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6 here. This is the greatest in first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, love for God, love for your neighbor, depend all of the law and all of the prophets. In other words, all this Old Testament stuff, it's all summed up in these two commands. He says, love God with everything you are. Now, this was from Deuteronomy 6, 5, which was a part of the Shema. Shema was a, this, 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 this uh, prayer, this recitation that a, a Jewish person, a, a devout Jewish person would, would recite at least twice a day at least twice a day, probably the first thing that Jesus was taught and would have memorized as a young boy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's different than other gods. He's one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's the Shema. And Jesus isn't just talking about, I have good feelings towards God. I think he's an okay guy. I I, I think he's up there. Uh, I think he's a God of love. I, th- I think I feel good about him. He's saying, give everything you are to him. Not just your emotions, but everything you are. Your mind, your, every fiber of your being. Love him with that. Jesus says, you want to know of the essence of what God wants from you? It's love. That's the summary of the entire law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then Jesus adds a second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And again, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, this time Leviticus 19. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So notice, it's not love your neighbor because they're good to you. Love your neighbor even if they deserve punishment, even if they de- deserve um, separation, even if they deserve ostracism, or whatever it is. He says, love your neighbor as yourself because I am the Lord your God. So it's not just a feeling. It's, a, it's an intentional giving of ourselves to other people who are imperfect to help them live as God intends for them to live. Now, let's think about this another way. Uh, the Ten Commandments. We, we've all heard of the Ten Commandments. Maybe you can recite them off. Um, You know, we've seen the movie with with Charlton Heston and all that. We think of the Ten Commandments as boundaries, right? As restrictions, as, as things that we are not to do. Thou shalt not. But they're about love. They're about love for God and love for others. I do not think that God put the Ten Commandments in the order that he did by accident. You see, the first four commandments are about our relationship with God. And the next six, the last six, are about our relationships with other people. There's to be a priority. Our priority is to be our relationship with God first, and then out of that flow our relationships with other people. Think about the commandments. The first four are I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not make idols and bow down to them. Don't misuse my name. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. It's a day for the Lord. Uh, just as the Lord is holy. So those four all deal with our relationship with God. The next six, honor your father and mother, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. They all have to do with how we interact with other people. And if we want to do well with the last six, we have to focus on the first four. Because the quality of our relationship with other people is directly connected to the quality of our relationship with the Lord. Let me put that another way. The only way we will consistently be able to keep the Second Six uh, Commandments and the process to have God-honoring healthy relationships with other people is if we consistently keep the first four. Keeping our relationship with God as our highest priority and love Him with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Now, that's hard to do. And because Jesus knows that we are incapable of loving God and loving others, By ourselves, he gives us an even greater answer. We look at his life. He doesn't just ask us for love, but he gives us his love. He loves us with his whole being, giving himself for us at the cross to forgive our sins and change our hearts. It's the ultimate expression of love. Paul says so. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the bottom line, Jesus says, is you want to know what, what what it's all about. The sum of the commandments, it's love God with everything you are. Put him first. And then out of that, out of that love that I have for you, love others as you love yourself. You know, it seems like in our culture today, in our world, in the church, there's a lot of hand wringing, a lot of frustration, a lot of angst about what's going on in our culture and our world things are shifting rapidly a lot of things that we aren't real excited about i know that i'm not there's certain things like that's that's just contrary to god's word and, and 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 it's not a biblical worldview and so on and so forth and, and and i get that but think about the early church why did the early church succeed in changing their culture they were a small minority sect, religious sect. That's how they were viewed, almost like a cult. They didn't have any power. They couldn't vote. They couldn't, I mean, they didn't have money. How did, they, how did they transform the Western world in just a couple hundred years? I mean, it wasn't perfectly transformed, but how did they, how did they do that? Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, they did things that, that baffled and stunned the people around them. The early church didn't picket, they didn't boycott, they didn't gripe. They just did things that astonished people. They took in abandoned babies. They took in widows. They helped sick and wounded. They restored dignity to slaves. They were willing to die for what they believed. And after a while, their actions so so stunned and, and impacted and softened the hearts of the people around them that... People, more and more people wanted to know what they were all about and who was this Jesus that they were following and how could they have such love for themselves and for this Jesus and for other people how could they do this without power love did its work and God wants to do the same thing in us in our church and in our world It's been done before. Through love, God's love for us, changing us, working through us, we can change the world. We can change our community. We can change our church and we can change our family. But it begins with the first and the second greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, just as Christ has first loved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you are a God who has loved us when we do not deserve it. A God who has sacrificed for us uh, and we don't understand why we know it's out of love but it doesn't make sense because we know that we're imperfect and flawed people you didn't have to do that lord but you your motive in that was love to make us right with you to do for us what we could not do for ourselves so that we would be saved and and experience life abundantly both now and forever and we confess to you father that so often our love is imperfect it's misplaced. It's partial in our relationships with you, but also with other people. And so we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your help, your Holy Spirit to to grow us deeper in our love for you. Uh, that our love for you would be based in, in in truth about who you are. And Lord, that our love for other people would be based in and the truth about who you are and as we, as, we ex- as we express that truth and show that truth and communicate that truth that it would come through a place of love and that people's lives would be changed um, uh, because we love you and because you love them. So Father, we, just, we thank you and we praise you and we ask that this would be so increasingly in our lives that our priorities would always be loving you first with everything we are and then to love others if you have first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.